0: Hey Siri. I'm listening. Search podcasts ED Jam.
1: Looking for ED Jam. Thanks, Siri. You're welcome.
0: Welcome to the ED Jam. Hey, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, and today we're going to be looking at um, pediatric asthma uh, and I've got um, one of the legends of the game, um, <laughs> Maxi um, who's a staffie here at Southo. Um We're going to be having a bit of a conversation, a bit of banter, um, and we're going to be chatting through pediatric asthma. So first of all, Max, thanks for coming, dude. You're a legend. And um, what are we going to, yeah, who are you, dude? What's your deal?
1: Thanks, Benny, for the astounding intro. <laughs> um, so my name is Max Raos. I'm a emergency specialist here at Sutherland uh, and I occasionally work out at Liverpool as well and my background is uh, I'm from New Zealand. You, you can tell.
0: yeah, bro.
1: Um, don't mention the World Cup <laughs> uh, and I've been an emergency specialist for a couple of years now. i trained both in New Zealand and Australia.
0: Cool Yeah. and you obviously um, you know I've seen a range of different patients and paediatric asthma sort of popped up um, here at Southern we kind of, I've looked through some of the stats, last month I think we saw 50 or a few um, around that sort of figure. But how prevalent is asthma? What is asthma for people that don't know about it? Can you give us a bit of a rundown on what it, dude? The
1: figures from the states are something like they've got 26 million uh, patients with asthma all sure. with together and yep. 7 million pediatric cases. Uh, and sort of proportion wise, in terms of people presenting to emergency departments, mm-hmm. Know, pediatric wheeze, yep. which encompasses asthma as well as bronchiolitis and other t- diseases of infancy. You know, that account is the second most common presenting complaint, really, yep. in uh, Australian emergency departments. Wow. So, you know, it's something that we have to know about and it's something that we have to be able to finesse if we're managing uh, these cases. Yeah. And I think what we're going to talk about today is about what asthma is. Yeah, cool. Some of the treatments that we get and yep. how it varies along a scale. Yeah, cool. So it's not really a... One size fits all yep. for asthma, and there are lots of different um, resources that you can lean on, yep. and they're all actually really accessible. And I think course, you're gonna put yep. some of them up in the show notes in yep. this
0: episode. Yeah, I will. I'll have all of them below in the show notes. Um, all of the access to pediatric stuff. Um, so we can have a look at it. some of the flow charts are really helpful. Um, especially if you've never seen them before to sort of go through that moderate, a uh, mild, severe, um, flow chart, and and you can sort of see how in ED we deal with asthma. Um, in a nutshell, I've used that word nutshell a few times now. Yeah. Nutshell, nutshell. Stuck in a nutshell. How would you describe asthma? Give me a bit of a. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Tell me. You don't know what you know? it is. I'm a well, patient. I walk into ED. I'm like, Max, man, what's asthma? Congratulations, you have asthma. Yeah. What, what's yeah. going on?
1: So asthma is actually derived from the Latin word for panting, okay. right? So like, it's all about breathing <laughs> fast, and it's really a it's a disease process where you can't breathe out. Yeah. Um, and it's it's multifactorial. There's a lot of different. Uh, there's layers, yep. lots L- of L- different L- layers. L- layers. Onions have layers. Involved. So, <clears throat> really, there's a pathological process, yep. which is really defined by uh, immune hyperreactivity. Yep. Uh, lots of mucus yep. being produced and smooth muscle hypertrophy. So, if you remember the way. <laughs> <laughs> Way back go. to uh, anatomy, and you've got your trachea, and you've got yep. your left and right, left and right bronchi yep. as you come down the tree, uh, and then you go out, and it's at the level of the bronchioles that we're talking about. Yeah, um, those bronchioles they have smooth muscle around the outside, and then yep. they have sort of layers of uh, the lamina propria and everything. What you're looking at is at the below the uh, the endothelium.
0: Yep.
1: they've got you've got a lot of infiltration of eosinophils. Yep. And when they get triggered by other environmental stuff, like yep. the, by how we're having the bushfires Fires at the moment, and stuff, yeah, killer. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad at the moment. Yeah, um, So, if you get some sort of trigger, be it environmental or viral or whatever, then that triggers release of these inflammatory mediators, yes. which uh, give the pathological process, which is like, you know, you get, uh, the inflammatory mediators give you increased mucus, yes. so you get mucus plugging, yep. narrowing of the lumen of the airway. Yep and then they also give, inflama- uh, give an inflammatory signal to the smooth muscle, making it constrict. Yes. Which is gonna be important when we talk about the mainstay of therapy for yep. this. Yes. cool. So, if you imagine now in your mind's eye, like looking down sort of the barrel of a, a pipe.
0: Yep, With yeah.
1: And, you know, you've got a certain amount of flow that you can get through there. Yep. As you know, if you narrow that, uh, that pipe, yep. the diameter comes down. Yep. Every time you come down, you know you've got flow decreasing yep. to the power of the radius of four. So, yep. you know any little amount. when you're talking about pediatric asthma, you know you've not got a lot of it's room to move. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So any small amount of constriction causes like a big degree of obstruction. Yes. To airflow, and that's what we're going to talk about later
0: on. Yeah. Great, mate. That's that's awesome. Um, Max, man, you just blew my mind. Um, that was crazy. Just just understanding going back to the pathophysics. Um, it's really important to understand our physiology and pathophysiology of um, common presenting problems. Um, I think I need to read my textbooks again. So that was cool. Um, now, how do they, when these people come into the ED? When these kids come in, what do they look like? Um, are there sort of common signs and symptoms that they present with? Um, I, I want to, you know, be able to pick these kids out when they come through our department.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. So, look, when you're thinking about asthma, you also have to think. I guess the the mainstay of the diagnosis is made around weeds and effort of breathing. Yep. You know, like you've got children who come in who are having difficulty breathing out, which is, you know, that's weed. Yep. That typical
0: <sighs>
1: kind of noisy. I think people. I get that one I ride yeah. my bike. Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> laughing. Yeah, all laughing too hard. Yeah. So, um, and you, you know, I like to think about all kind of pathological processes, falling into history, physical investigations. Yep. and investigations and a lot of it comes from the history when you're yep. t- talking about asthma and, you know you might get an idea from the parents you know I've had my child's had asthma before I have asthma yep. my all their other siblings have asthma or the, you get the what's called the atopic triad yep. so children who have say eczema asthma yep. uh, and then they also might have allergic rhinitis or yep. seasonal okay. rhinitis yeah. um, and these are kids who are sort of fundamentally prone to just having increased reactivity. Yep. Uh, and it's something to think about when you come in and you've got a child who's kind of like unwell but you're not sure about the diagnosis. Yep. So history factors and then you want to take a history specific for asthma. Yep. So things like, you know, does your child cough at night? Do yep. they wake up coughing? Do they cough in the morning? Do they get uh, a wheezy noise when they exert themselves like play soccer yep. or they're playing footy at the weekend? Other things that might trigger it, like cigarette smoke in the home? Yeah, cool. Um, or is it just when my kid gets sick, they get this thing called viral induced wheeze? Yeah. Which is a slightly separate entity. Yeah. Uh, and really, we have to recognize that as a separate entity for children under the age of two. Yeah. Um, and potentially, sort of up to the age of five, really. Okay. Uh, so maybe all that wheezes is not asthma, is something that we always talk about in eMERGE. Mm. Um, so we have to think about other things along the spectrum. So coming back to the other parts of the history for asthma, you know, if you've got a child in front of you who's known to have asthma, you want to talk about, you know, what is their, uh, what's their preventer? Mm -hmm. Are they using a spacer? What's the the regularity with which they're using their salbutamol? What have they tried at home? Um, And when was their last admission? Okay, cool. So, and as markers for severity for this particular, presentation, you want to know, hey, has this child ever been in ICU before? Yeah. Have they ever had a breathing tube placed in or been intubated? Yeah. Um, or had, like, a external um, bipap or non-invasive yeah. ventilation as part of their asthma therapy? Because markers of severeness in previous presentations can predict severeness in this presentation. Wow. So Perfect. you want to think about that when they're coming in. Yeah, cool. So further, so you that's the history element. Yep. Um, another really big part of the history element is you want to know: is this child anaphylactic to anything? Okay. Uh, because anaphylaxis imbues a higher risk of death yep. for all children under twelve. So, uh, who have concurrent asthma? Right. right. So, it's something that's a really big thing to know about. Yeah. And I have a case that we can discuss later on that sort of actually features that as a Sweet. as that's a, good to know. as a main mainstay.
0: So, a parental concern. Uh, so the parents' history, the parents giving you a history is really important then yes. in understanding the child, especially if they're young, and they're not gonna remember what's happened to them in terms of, you know, I went to hospital for this, but for the parents giving you that history of the child, it seems really imperative for that yeah. medical history.
1: I think it's it's really important to spend those few moments just as you're sitting up and giving whatever treatment you're gonna give first. Yep. Um, I'm gonna say, you're gonna, as you're sitting up to give the Salbutamol, <laughs> yes. right? Like, whichever, way, you, whichever yep. way you're gonna give it. Yeah. Um, you want to know a little bit about the trajectory for where you're going to go next. Yep. And I think that's a lot of the uh, the treatment for asthma is knowing what's coming next. Yes. So to avoid intubating an asthmatic, which is everyone's kind of nightmare scenario, yep. uh, because intubation for asthmatics is something you want to avoid at all costs and do when you have to do it. Cool. Um. So that's, the, the, we talked about the history part. Yeah, it's and good. then on the physical, you want to get uh, an idea from the end of the bed, how this child looks. Yep. So, the majority of presentations presenting, in the majority of presentations coming to emergency departments, yep. has something called uh, infrequent intermittent asthma. Yep. That's something like twenty-five to fifty-ish percent of the cases rolling through the door, and these are children who get asthma attacks, and then they will take some short-acting beta-agonists like Ventolin or Umal, yep. and then they get better. They may need some. A steroid as well, and then they don't they won't have another attack yeah. for greater than six weeks to six months. Uh, and <clears throat> other than that, so.
0: No, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, so when you are looking at them from the end of the bed, you yeah. want to know, hey, what's their work of breathing? Yeah, what so they,
0: yeah, so like respiratory, that sort of stuff. Respiratory rate, yeah. very important.
1: Yeah, um, and then marking it against their respiratory rate for their age. Yeah. Uh, the work of breathing is really important to know. So, yeah. are they using their muscles through their neck? If it's a young child, are they flaring their nose? Are they bobbing their head? Yeah.
0: Are you exposing these, like if this kid's wearing a jumpsuit or something, are you asking the nurses maybe to pull it down and have a look at their, their chest? Or yeah, yeah cool, like good,
1: I think good. it's uh, I think it's really important to you know to respect the child, yeah. like who's you know struggling to breathe, yeah. and you want to know how hard they're working. But I think if you're not looking at the chest wall, yeah. You're not seeing the fact that they have, say, Harrison sulcus, they've got evidence of that they've had like poorly controlled asthma for a long time. Yes. They're doing belly breathing. Yeah. They've got severe intercostal recession. Right. You're gonna not you're gonna miss out on all yeah. that really vital information by keeping their onesies at duck. Yeah.
0: So th- so that physical end of the bed look, do yeah. you think that you know, you get better at doing that the more you look at, it, the more you start to see um these kids working harder in practice if we start to ex- examine better that we're able to pick this up a bit better, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to to lay eyes on like these variations of different levels of sickness of asthma, yeah, over the course of your training, yeah, to take opportunities to put yourself out there to go and like if you're a student or yep. if you're interested in this that you want to go out and see different. Levels of severity of asthma because it is like a spectrum, and you do get a better feel for it the more you see it. Yeah, okay. okay. So, looking at them, you're looking at their respiratory rate, Yep. Uh, you're looking at worker breathing, very yep. importantly, you're yep. looking at the wheeze, yep. you're looking at the vital signs, you know, yep. oxygen saturations, tachycardia, yep. uh, and you're also looking at uh, sort of their general demeanor. So, like, is this child like wheezing with a little with a bump in their respiratory rate? but they can sort of talk to you and, you know, yeah. they're watching Peppa Pig.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but like, you know, the child who's becoming sort of uh, agitated and distressed, yes. is, you know, they're a little bit inconsolable, could actually be because they're hypoxic. Yeah, and they're okay. really sort of, And they're really struggling more than you can appreciate from, like, listening to the wheeze yep. in their chest. Yeah. So...
0: And you've, you've seen, let's say, you know, we've looked at these clinical features, we were at the end of the bed, um, uh, we're seeing, you know, increased respiratory rate, increased worker breathing, I guess we can probably touch now on how, how do we treat these sort of kids, what, what are our first line adjuncts, what are we going to, um, yeah, I think it's sort of important to understand what are we going to, um, even if you're nursing, medical, just sort of what's our, our line of treatment. Um, yeah. I, know we, I know we sort of have severe, moderate, you know, mild, but let's say we're sitting in the moderate to severe, or even if we're in that range, how are we going to treat these guys? Yeah, so I think
1: like the yeah, therapy revolves around acutely uh, relieving the bronchospasm. Yep. And that is all about short-acting beta agonists. Yep. So for that specifically, I'm saying salbutamol. Salbutamol. Yep. Yeah. Which is age-dependent uh, in terms of the dose. Yep. Uh, and certainly in sort of mild to mild to moderate, you could use a spacer yep. with the uh, Ventolin inhaler. Rather, uh, or the inhaler, rather than a nebulizer. Yep. Because it can be quite confronting having the nebulizer on. Yep. Hundred uh, percent. Just actually, just the logistics of it, or the fact that you're nebulizing the para influenza for the rest of the department to get <laughs> and later on, considering <laughs> you're starving. Yeah. Hang um, it around. Yeah.
0: You <laughs> just uh, leave. Yeah.
1: So, look, I think in that respect, you know, the mainstay therapy to try and get over the initial presented complaint, which is wheeze, shortness yep. of breath, and increased respiratory effort, you know, you're giving the short-acting beta agonist, you're alleviating that, and then sort of longer term, yep. and that actually includes the acute presentation, is giving steroid yep. to alleviate the, um, the inflammatory part yep, of we asthma, which we mentioned asthma, before. Which we yeah. mentioned before. Yep. So, if you remember, we were talking about the smooth muscle contracting down, so the beta agonists, they act at that muscle and they make it sort of relax. Yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, the anti-inflammatory effects come from steroids. So be that yeah. oral steroid in those moderate yep. kids who aren't vomiting, or IV yep. steroid like methylpred or hydrocortisone in the child that is severe. So yep. you know, the, their respiratory work is getting to be more than they can handle.
0: Okay. And Pred, one to two mils per kilo, roughly, that, that we're sitting at. Now so, what are we talking about?
1: Prednisolone, yeah. So, the loading dose is two milligrams per kilogram, two, yep. followed by a milligram per kilogram per day for five days. Yep. Uh, you know, there's no hard stops on this. Cool. There's evidence that for mild moderate exacerbations, you know, a couple of days of dexamethasone is okay. at, like, say, 0.6 is yep. equivalent to a full course of. Five days of prednisolone. Yep. The prednisolone actually outperformed in that. Well wow, Okay. Outperformed the dexamethasone, yep. But there was more vomiting in the prednisolone. Group. Okay.
0: I might add that case into the notes below too, just so you can we can have a read of it if you yeah. haven't read that case. Cool. Um,
1: but the, I guess the the real takeaway here is that you know you relieve the symptoms first. Yep. Address the inflammation secondarily. Yep. Uh, and then you want to have a plan
0: going forwards. Cool. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, I know I'm gonna t- we'll touch on some stuff later. We're gonna touch on a bit of non-invasive. Mm. Silly question. Do you X-ray these guys? Do you, Do you X-ray a kid who's six who's got a moderate um, exacerbation of asthma? Imaging, we talk about radiation risks, things like that. But you know, are uh, we gonna image this guy? Yeah, I think girl.
1: I think that that's not a silly question. I think it's a good question yep. because I think we use a lot of X-ray, and I don't think that it's necessarily indicated for children presenting with. Okay. say classical signs of asthma, yep. or they have recurrent presentations of asthma. Yep. Uh, and that you could reserve chest x-ray for those instances where like, you're concerned about a, a complication from asthma, yep. say like a pneumothorax, yep. or um, you're concerned about a, a process where you've, you know, you've initiated your therapy and largely children are quite responsive, yep. or patients are responsive, if it is the correct diagnosis. right, yep. um, But if you give salbutamol and some steroids, and it's not getting better, and you, yep. maybe you step up to the next level, which is the yeah and they don't get better. Then you might be thinking, Hey, look, am I actually dealing with another beast here? Am I dealing mm-hmm. with a pneumonia? Am I going to yep. go back look for that fever, you can re-examine the chest, yep. and if you find focal signs in the chest exam, or if someone is treating, like say you're um, you're giving the therapy and therapy isn't working, yep. you might want to raise with a treating physician. Okay. Like, um, do you think it might be time for a chest x-ray because like yeah. our trajectory here has become very flat and we're not making any gains. Yeah,
0: cool, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. For, for for nursing th- stuff, especially I just raise it being a nurse myself. Um, you know, what should we be aware of and, and, and do you think, you know, if we do see a a child in that moderate range and we feel like they're not progressing, how do you think we should approach it? Um, Yeah, it seems silly question to sort of ask, but kind of, yeah, take home from that. No, I think
1: that's a good question again, because you want to know what you want to be worried about. Yeah. So a lot of people get worried about oxygen saturations. Yeah. And this funny thing can happen when you actually treat asthma, A first step, as you give the salbutamol, and then you can get a little oxygen saturation dip. Yeah. Because you open up these airways that have kind of been quite blocked off. Yeah. Uh, and when you exchange through them, you get a a little dip in the oxygen saturation because there hasn't been much oxygen down there. Okay. So that can be quite normal. You can get worried about it, yep. but that's okay. So you can go from like ninety two down to eighty nine, it will come back up just yep. with the, as the therapy goes through. But if that if those oxygen saturations are trending down, yep. and the work of breathing specifically, the things that you you're looking at, and the level of alertness of the child goes yep. from, you know. Happy watching, like iPad. Yeah. To happy. Like throwing iPad to asleep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You know, and there hasn't been a lot of, a lot of gain, and you've got like a profound tachycardia. Yeah. Which hasn't resolved after the half life of the Yeah. You know you're, thinking to yourself, this child mm. is getting sicker, not better. Yeah. And so the things that you're looking for, when you're looking after patients like this, is you're looking for, the level of alertness. Yep you're kind of being responsive as well to the level of concern from the parents or the caregiver, Yeah. yeah. you're watching their work of breathing over time Yeah. as well. And so, when you, you'll listen to the chest when they come in, yeah, and I think that's very important. Good to know, Yeah. You listen to the chest. You see where the wheezes. Give the first burst of therapy, say like if you've got a child who's five, yeah. you might give them six puffs, via spacer yeah. every 20 minutes, and review before each one, and then review it an hour, and then hourly thereafter. Right. And as you listen, you want to listen for the wheeze, where it is, how intense it is, and you want to see it clear. And then you want to see the effort of breathing go down. Yep. And the oxygen saturations remain the same. The heart rate will come up for yep. the subunimole. And um, you want to make sure that this child doesn't need further intervention. Okay.
0: And, and <clears throat> on that point, you've got a child sitting in that moderate to severe range. Do we do gases on, you know, blood gases? I know it's another question that's sort of yeah. always in my head. Do, do we donate? Do we run to that machine and, and, you know, while we're getting a line in this kid, do we go and, you know, run a quick sample? We know how much these lab tests cost sometimes.
1: Again, good question because it, it sort of speaks to the. Um, some people advocate for a no IV management of asthma. Yep. Such that, like, you can pretty much give most of the treatment for asthma, even up to, say, moderate exacerbations, yep. without an IV line. So oral, yep. So yep. you've got oral steroid, yep. you've got nebulized sodium oil, you've got nebulized cool. Yeah. you've even got nebulized magnesium wow. that you that you throw in there. There we go. So that's that's an extreme example, um, but I think when you're getting the IV line, you are concerned that the child is not responding to therapy. Yep. You're concerned that there are factors like they've previously been intubated, they've been to ICU, they have anaphylaxis. There are things there that you're like, I'm concerned that this child could go, could become critically unwell, precipitously, so like right away. Mm -hmm. Um, (coughs) So I get IV lines in children who don't respond to first line and second line therapy. So that's subunimol, then aprotropium. Because after that, the next step is, I want to know, is this child going into respiratory failure? Okay. And as part of that, I get an IV line because the next step is to give either IV subbutamol, magnesium, or aminophylline. Okay, there we go. So, so
0: we we've, we've spoke about aminophylline. I know that... Drop the aminophylline dro- He dropped the bomb. He's dropped the bomb. Yeah. Drop the bomb. So <laughs> drop the
1: aminophylline. <laughs> Woo! As soon as you bring it up, you've got to, like... Immediately apologize to half the population who never want to use it. Yeah. So, so I think <clears throat> even if we don't talk, you know. No, no, no. Like, should we think about it? I think what you want to do is because invariably a child who's having an aminophylline infusion is yep. like critically unwell. Yep. And you're thinking this child's going to ICU. yeah You're doing aminophylline to stop intubating the child. Yep, like okay. you know, there's a lot. There's different stuff happening. And depending on which protocol you're going by, so yep. there's uh, Royal Children's over in Melbourne. You've got uh, different statewide yep. uh, guidelines yes, for yep. what to use and what order.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, even here in New South Wales, there's different guidelines, and there's also a state guideline. Yeah. But for each of these kind of third line agents, if you group them all together, so you've got magnesium, uh, which works has sort of member. Membrane stabilizing effects. Yep. Uh, it has uh, supposedly a bronchodilator yeah. effects. Yep. Uh, and using it is has previously been demonstrated that it may not be as effective as we think. Yep. Uh, there's some evidence to say that you can nebulize it, mm-hmm. and that, that is actually quite helpful because it works sort of directly where it's needed.
0: Yep. Those airways, yeah.
1: Moving on to salbutamol, so you mo- use salbutamol IV when a patient who you're concerned that when you're giving the salbutamol nebulized, it's not actually getting down to where it needs to yeah, work. Some region, right? Yeah. Because it, they're well. mm-hmm. so unwell. So then you give it IV so that it flows through the blood vessels and gets down to those bronchioles and relaxes the smooth muscle. Yeah. It allows it to open up. The aminophylline, Again, sort of yeah. works at that level, but just in a slightly different way. Okay. Um, and some people reserve it in cases where, you know, you've given the, the IV sodium and it's not working. Yep. Other people advocate for giving it after you're giving magnesium. Yes. Before the IV sodium more. Yep. <clears throat> and this is something that you want to have a conversation with, uh, sort of in your department or wherever you're working. Yeah. To say, you know, what are we doing locally, yep. and sort of. Like, are we gonna choose one? Yeah. Are we gonna choose one then the other? Yeah. So I personally would say, like I would choose Mag and then Salbutamol. Yeah. And then I would discuss Emanoflin with the retrieving team okay. for where we're going. Yeah.
0: So for us it's NETs. So we're gonna be talking to the NETs. Yeah. And having a chat with them. Or, you know, one of the consultants, pediatric consultants that are here. and yeah. um, That are gonna be looking after the child as well.
1: So I mean, all that, so those are the third line angels and you're like, wow, you know, we got here pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you know, we were just talking about was like some little spaces and a bit of like oral printers and we pat on the back with a little uh, discharge information sheet. We' kind of we've escalated up to these third line mm-hmm. unbelievable therapies. I think the thing to remember is that giving these therapies is relatively infrequent now, yes, uh, because asthma management in the community has become that much better. Okay.
0: And so we're yeah. treating with the uh, these kids are being treated. Um, at home better with better management plans, which means they prevent from coming into our ED. Yeah. Um, and we're getting a bit on, you know, giving out those fact sheets, doing things that mean that we, our community is better informed on asthma in yeah. the community um, for families and, and the child itself, depending on what age the child is. Yeah,
1: and I think health literacy is really important. Yeah. You know, being able, to take, uh, con- being able to take control of your chronic disease, to know what's causing it, how you can help it your own self, Mm. um gives you it empowers you as a person. Yep. And by and large now we have the ability to do that with yep. asthma. Uh and so certainly seeing the critically unwell asthmatic child is like uh confronting, but also we want to be prepared, which yeah. is what these guidelines are really about. Okay, cool. Something we haven't mentioned though is giving IM adrenaline. Okay. Um and that sort of falls into that realm of is this anaphylaxis Plexus. is this asthma okay but certainly in life-threatening critical asthma doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt you know it has beta adrenergic effects so it's going to work at lungs uh it has you know alpha effects for the heart it's going to you a big heart rate um so and it has it is the treatment for uh, anaphylaxis Okay. so if, they're, if it's uncertain as to whether or not this could be anaphylaxis or the child is peri-arrest yep. giving IM adrenaline so it's 0.01 uh, ML per kilo of the one in the thousand Yep. which is the way I remember it is it's 0.1 of a mil yep. for every 10 kilos yep. okay, and cool. then you stop at 50 because yep. that's the adult dose. Yep. <laughs> right? Don't, so don't exactly go it. Do not go faster. Like bad. the thread, don't go yeah. over 50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, that's uh, that's how I remember. Okay. Uh, and that is a good bridging therapy to say, uh, as you're calculating that dose of magnesium because it takes forever, yeah. right? Like it's confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why it's written down in so many guidelines. Yeah, okay, cool. That's so, cool. And I think that that would be like, so subutamol, steroids, Mm, not working epitropium yeah followed by okay we're getting worse consider the magnesium okay we've got really bad give adrenaline yeah drop the magnesium give the magnesium start salveidomolid infusion
0: yeah consider aminophilin and talk about retrieval to a like a pediatric center yeah, great. And uh, we're doing it here at Souther. We've got aminoth in our cupboards ready to go in case we need to use it, yeah. which is good to have it on board in your departments if you need it, yeah. um, which is really good to have those drugs available if you need to go that line. And, and it raises a good point that maybe nurses could be drawing up that am adrenaline and having it on the side of the bed ready to go just in case you need it. But Or having the drugs available in case we need them because I'm assuming and knowing this that these patients can escalate quite quickly.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's, again being prepared and knowing the next step is half the battle hit. Yeah. And I think if you have one of those uh, like online calculators like is available through the Sydney Children's Hospital network. Yeah. Then using that and bringing it up and just having the drugs out and then knowing what dose you're going to give for the age and weight of the child. You know, it's a big relief of your cognitive burden. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you're not trying to calculate doses on the fly. You know, you can hand that off, hand that job off, or be the person that's that's your sole job.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's a really important job. You
0: know. yeah Yeah, I was drawing up adrenaline the other day, and it was a zero point one two of a meal. So just remembering, oh, hang on, and just double checking that always makes a difference. Yeah. Um. So we've got to be on the ball with that. Um. You're going to talk us through a case. Um. Just quickly, because we, we won't. Um. And but we just met. We didn't touch on this, but you mentioned we don't want to intubate kids in the severe case of asthma. Um. And I know there's a, a bit of... Yeah, just what, what do we do next? We can go into this realm of non-invasive ventilation. We're in the realm. Hit us up with non-invasive. Non-invasive <laughs> realm. Not long. Just just what do you think about non-invasive in, in, this, um, yeah, in these kids before this retrieving team comes if you're not a paediatric centre? Yeah, look,
1: what do I think? I think it's a, it's a bridge. Yeah. Right? And there's the, You don't want a bridge to nowhere. Yeah. Okay, like... Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're going a, a bridge to somewhere Yeah. so uh, some people advocate for it as a therapy in and of itself um, but really if you think about it like okay well this is the therapy I'm going to use to potentially pre-oxygenate this child before I intubate them yep. to make things hemodynamically and physiologically better than they are able to do because they are obtunded they're lactemic you know, they have hypercapnia, they're hypoxic. You know, they're critically unwell from yeah. a respiratory standpoint. I'm going to use this as a tool yeah. to mitigate uh, sort of a disaster, which would be a rest on induction. Yeah. Then I think of it like that. Yep, yeah, this is a really good tool. Uh, and sometimes people just turn around on the tool and it becomes a bridge to coming off. Yeah. you know, but I think if you think in your head, okay, we're using this. And I'm ready to intubate if this uh, child doesn't uh, turn around. Okay. You know? Yep, good to know. So it does work as a therapy in itself that I've seen. Yep. Um, in bigger trials, the answers are less clear. Okay. Um, and so when we talk about non invasive ventilation, we're talking about lots like, so of the brand names of CPAP and BiPAP. Yep. Or you're supposed to use the word VPAP. For v- VPAP there. VPAP. A <laughs> lot of PAP. lot of PAP. A lot of PAP. And so certainly what you want to know is what your department has by, by way of VPAP. Yes. So here we have the Oxelot 3000 plus. Yep. Which will do five kilos up. Yep. <coughs> We've got uh, a yep. couple of BiPAP setups.
0: Yeah, V60, Vision, yeah. Yep. A few BiPAP setups
1: which and most departments will have. Which yep. most departments will have. And then you want to be sure with like, say your nurse like, you know, educator. educator, yep. how low can we go in terms of kilos with yep. your non-invasive Yeah. yeah, uh, and that's kind of like the, the yep. preamble and then getting into it like how much are you going to how much peep you're going to use how much IPAP you're going to use yep. I mean really you're going to use a small amount of peep because the intrinsic peep of the body is going to be quite large yep. um, and you're aiming to oxygenate yep. so try and get the oxygen level up uh, and s- the the idea is to splint open those bronchioles, yeah. Um, and if someone's not breathing, then using a bit of BIPAP to try and uh, breathe for them essentially yeah. is not like the world's worst idea, yeah. Because it sort of prevents it gives you a little bit of a little bit of lead time before intubating. Cool. And if we are
0: throwing them on BIPAP, do yeah. we? I mean. Would we X-ray to make sure we haven't got any pneumothoraces or, or or anything going on like that, or do you think that? Yes, I think by the time you're talking it about, on?
1: I think by the time you're talking about this, this child has got an IV line. Yep. The child's had a chest X-ray. Great. Uh And you are preparing. pretty concerned. Yeah, pretty concerned. You're like you're preparing to intubate this child, yep. and you should be on the phone to your local retrieving centre. Yep. Back in uh, somewhere. Yeah. Bridging them. you You
0: gotta get that bridge. Bridge man, you have gotta bridge it. Uh, you know this is awesome to sort of talk through this process I feel like I I understand it better um, and I think it's helpful to understand that we need to sort of we can follow these pathways mm. in order to help kids help patients with asthma um, and that we should be thinking in our head you know to be prepared mm-hmm. you know, preparation is always is always important whenever we, we're dealing with any sort of stuff Yeah, um, I think it's really good as well to sort of think about um, all the different lines of treatment and to know that Sometimes uh, yeah. kids can turn around, they can they can switch and they can get oh, better and other times we're going full hog.
1: Yeah. I mean yeah. we're eternally humbled by pediatrics, right? Yeah. Like children come in and they are critically unwell, you give them some therapy and they turn around and you know and kind of it, pick you out the door. It is like, <laughs> oh, hey, what's going on? You know, playing with a sharp spin. <laughs> you know, the huge. Yeah. Um, bouncing out of here. You just, um you <laughs> know, it, children have that, that yeah. physiologic uh, kind of capacity to yeah. really like astound us with how they can go from being really unwell to two icy poles and...
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> two icy poles and a pe- big and episode. Mama Watt on right. the way home. Yeah, that's <laughs> it? You
0: know, um, so... That's cool, that's cool. I was um, I will and will attach at the bottom of the notes um, a little setup for the Oxylog 3000 for people that haven't used BiPAP or CPAP before, for yeah. kids. Um, a just a little short little video, just sort of how to set it up. Um, remember, every hospital will have different machines, but just for fast here, just so people are aware of it. Um, the case, before we close, you're gonna run through a quick little case. Oh yeah, it's um, a quick little case. Pins um, up with the case, and then, um, then we just want one take-home point for, yeah. the, for the
1: close. So it was a case from, not from here, it's yep. from elsewhere. Um, and I was on sub kind of yep. shift and then the arrest buzzer went and then uh, so everyone ran over to arrest us and we are getting gloves on and there was a child basically and just peri arrest okay, being unloaded onto the table uh, onto the gurney there and you know, nine years old I think mm-hmm. is what um, the parents had said and then sort of as we were setting up it kind of became apparent it's she had really tight weeds yep. um, had... Potentially been unwell this afternoon, but it become just quickly unwell, uh, and you know before long we're just giving uh, non, like we're giving bag valve mask ventilations well, to try and oxygenate with a okay. piece on, nebulizing continuous salbutamol. Yep. And then you know from like, we're getting absolutely nowhere. Yep. Uh, she was peripherally shut down. Yep. Started to become bradycardic. Okay. And all of a sudden the uh, when the parents said, Oh, she has allergy to peanuts and we give and we were thinking about just giving this ion adrenaline anyway. Yep. So we give it and then sort of kind of within minutes, all of a sudden boom boom she, she starts uh, ventilating. Yes. Finally. Uh, comes back, gets a bit more of a heart rate. Uh, and then we had to, this is before we had our proper sort of BiPAP setup? Yeah. And then we had to MacGyver some <laughs> straps out of IV tourniquets. Mm, yes. Yep. Uh, to generate the BiPAP setup. Wow, okay. Uh, to give her sort of continuous nebulized um, BiPAP. BiPAP, wow. Salbutamol to come in and, you know, she had IV and everything else. Yep. On and you yeah. so the kitchen sink it. Yeah, so then after, after the kitchen sink and everything else, you know, the next day she's like sitting up an ICU, everything's like honky okay. dory Yep. Everything's all as well. Yep. I'm just about to get on a plane. I'm just, you know? I'm, I'm out of here. And that's <laughs> like, so I think that one, one thing to take away from that particular story is, you know, if things are really severe and you're getting to the point where you're in that peri-arrest situation, yep. that IM Adrenaline can, be a, can actually be a lifesaver. Great. And I think to remember that as part of your treatment algorithm even though it doesn't necessarily fall uh, within all algorithms. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other big take-home point for asthma is that it's like it's really common. Yeah. You know, like there we, are lots of people out there with asthma, and it just sort of comes and goes. And you know we've maybe forgotten a little bit about the like the severe asthma because we don't see it as much. Yeah. Um, but I think empowering people is the mainstay of therapy here. So when you're looking after these patients. Yes what i think the most important part is is because by and large most people come with a mild to moderate kind of attack yeah the that lower sort of yep and when you're about to send them home so they have a better quality of life and you know everyone gets more sleep at their house and they don't come back so yep. that you know the treatment's not working anymore you go through spacer technique yep you go through the action plan Yep. You make sure, you, like, they have some follow up, and they're empowered by education.
0: Yeah, great.
1: Such that, you know, they have greater control over this thing that has potentially been controlling their life to that point.
0: Yeah, that's good because I guess the majority of patients we see, pediatric patients with asthma, um, they're not getting you know all this mag and no. you know, CPAP, BiPAP, um, adrenaline, adrenaline, all yeah. this you know throwing everything. But it's good to know the severe cases so that we then can treat them mild we then can treat the moderate, yeah. um, and we're aware of what it can get up to, what we can ramp up to when we're doing the bridge. Yeah, um, so, you know, building the bridge building from the bridge. And the
1: second they get there, yeah. you start building that bridge, yep. you all gotta all know the, where you're going.
0: We gotta know where we're going. And yeah. I, I think the good thing you've raised as well is education's key. If we can educate patients, if we can edu- educate families, um, uh, then we can prevent, prevent admissions, but also we can pre- um, prevent patients and their diseases getting worse, yeah. um, which I think is really cool. Um, man it was a pleasure to have you here and chat bro you're a legend it's all good um, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about some other stuff but um, this was rad and um, I'm sure hopefully people will listen to it and yeah I'm sure I'm sure both the people who listen to this will really enjoy it yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, we'll talk soon you're a legend and um, thanks for your time cheers mate Yo. see you on Strava you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you want to raise this because of like, your unbelievable wheezer? Yeah, I, <laughs>
0: actually, of... I actually have a little bit of a straddle um, when I'm riding. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told by multiple anaesthetists that they thought it was a wheeze, but I think it's just straddle. Yeah, so
1: it's all right. I, well, I've always got my pocket knife, right? So we, we need <laughs> a to a, a bit yeah, Just a quick
0: roadside track. <laughs> a bit tracky tracky. I'm sure we'll touch on trackies. Um, maybe we won't, later, we won't.
1: Later some later someday. Yeah.
0: I've been riding before and people said, man, that wheeze is so bad. that I think you should get that checked out. It's yeah. hard when you're riding with uh, emergency physicians. They're just trying to diagnose you all the time. Diagnose
1: all the time.
0: Mostly <laughs> to trying and slow you down. That's it. They're trying <laughs> to beat your times, man. They're trying to get in your head. They're trying to get in your head. <laughs> yep. Any advice given on the ED Jam should not be taken over your local medical practitioner.